Welcome to the Pinocchio Project. I'm Mitch Friedman, and in my life and experience as a husband, a father, a church planter, and a university professor, I've discovered that everyday ideas about human flourishing have significant consequences. Here at the Pinocchio Project, our mission is to examine these everyday ideas and determine if they actually deliver on their promises. Hello and welcome back to the Pinocchio Project. Uh, we are in the process of building our biblical worldview. And we've said before that everyone has a worldview whether or not they know it. Better to know it so it's not confused and inconsistent. Uh, better to build it actively and better for the believer, the follower of Christ, to build a biblical worldview through which to examine ideas that come at you every day from your workplace, to your neighborhood, from the kitchen table, and even from inside of you that promise human flourishing, but may or may not deliver. So our biblical worldview allows us to have a filter through which we run the promises of these ideas and then determine whether or not they should be kept or they should be ejected. So we're now moving into question three, category three of building a biblical worldview category three of four. And our first question, or our first category had to do with origins. These, this question of who am I? Do I have a purpose? Do I have a design? How did all this get here? And we've, we've said that from a biblical perspective, that question is answered in the creation. The creation begins with a creator. God, by the word of his power, spoke all things into being. Uh, He created me with design and purpose. I'm a male, so as a male, I have a design and purpose. He might have created you. If you're not a male, you're then a female with design and purpose. And in that design and purpose are all the building blocks necessary to build a flourishing culture. That's Genesis 1 and 2. And then we moved into the, the fall or the problems category. And in the, in the fall, we see that God's very good idea has now been overthrown by our rebellion. We want to be in charge. We want to be independent of God's reign and rule. And in doing so, in that rebellion, we have now lost the opportunity to be intimate with God, to be intimate with each other, to actually understand what our role and purpose is and how we are to care for God's creation. And so as we left our last podcast, we are yearning. We are groaning for some kind of redemption, for some kind of solution, for some kind of an answer to our sin problem, because our sin problem now has us separated from God and separated from each other, has us awaiting our physical death and absolutely living a life of futility. So the good news is today we're moving into our third movement of God's grand story as we build our biblical worldview, and that is redemption. And we see the benefits of Christ's sacrifice for us. We see the benefit of his atonement for us. And just consequently, I'm recording this here in beautiful Lago Vista, Texas, on Good Friday of 2022. 
And this is a very special day in the life of the church, church and the history of the world. Uh, it's also a very special day for me in particular. It's over this weekend, uh, 31 years ago, uh, that God's very good idea uh, overrode my very bad idea of self-autonomy. And I was compelled to faith. I would say ambushed to faith. God cracked my chest open. He did some divine surgery. Uh, he used a spiritual scalpel, sliced open my chest, pulled back the veil on my heart, and showed me the beauty of his son. And I accepted the full benefits of Christ's redemption, Christ's atonement on my behalf. So I pray that you find uh, that same enthusiasm and excitement as we move into the resurrection season here in 2022. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about the benefits of Christ's atonement. Now, to atone means that, that I actually do what's necessary to override the consequences or the liabilities of another reality. So in this context, in a biblical worldview, the atonement is Christ now making right my sin by taking it on himself and paying the penalty. Uh, so this is one of the key doctrines of the Christian faith. I love the text in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writing his, what we, what we call his second letter, probably his third letter uh, to the Corinthian church, a problematic church, by the way, which I guess every church is problem, problematic because we're in them. But he's writing, uh, in, and we see in the, the fifth chapter of the Second Corinthians that uh, he closes the chapter out. He's not writing chapters, he's writing a letter. But as we've marked it, it's the end of chapter two. And Paul talks about the fact that we are now ambassadors, we're called to be reconciled to Christ. And then Paul gives the credentials that operate as the power for our work as ambassadors. And this is a great statement of Christ's atonement. God made him, that's Jesus, to become sin for us so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. So if you look at the full expression of that verse, uh, God made Jesus who knew no sin to become literally a sin offering for us with the result being in this great exchange, Jesus takes our wretchedness and gives us back his righteousness. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. And ladies and gentlemen, children of God, followers of Christ, that is the solution to the problems of the world, Christ's redemption. It's not a religious statement or a religious practice. It's not a religious observance. It is the magnificent, magnanimous gift of a loving, holy God for the benefit of our individual redemption and then for the benefit of restoring all things. Now, before I get into the uh, sort of the, the results, the, the consequences of God's very gracious idea and his son's willingness to carry it out, I want to speak again, as I've spoken before, about the challenge of doing church in the Western world. Uh, if you look at church history, uh, we have had a tendency to not focus on 
the full four movements of God's grand story, but to focus simply on what I would call the meat or the middle two chapters, which are are so important. But all four movements, all four chapters are necessary to build a proper biblical worldview and understand your place now in this world as a follower of Christ. And so let me explain it this way. Many of us came to faith in environments where we started with the second movement of God's grand story, and that is the fall. And it was communicated to us like this. You are a sinner bound for hell. And that's how the proclamation began. Now, I want to say categorically, that's true. I don't, all I have to do is look in the mirror and see that I am the problem. I promote myself, protect myself, indulge myself, and impose my agenda on everybody else. So that is true. Individually, I am a sinner bound for hell in my rebellion against God. And then the proclamation closes with just the third movement of Christ's redemption and atonement. Jesus is the answer to your individual sin problem. And that's also true and necessary for me to know. But what that creates is an individualistic faith whereby I say yes to Jesus, I'm so grateful, and I receive the benefit of his atonement. My sin is forgiven. I now have a place at the table in God's eternal kingdom. But typically, that's where the story ends for us. And in doing so, we truncate, we dismiss the absolutely essential elements of the first movement and the last movement. The first movement being the creation movement where we are given mandates to form and fill, to build culture while we're here on this earth. Those mandates were not set aside in the fall. Those mandates still were in force throughout the balance of, of world history. And then the fourth movement, destinations or restoration. We have a responsibility now not just to do life with Jesus, but to do life with other people who are believers to help restore all things, to help make things better in the city, in the country, in the county, in the workplace, in the neighborhood so that we can have a satisfying expression of this new life we've been given in Christ. And I hate to say it, but we have not done a really good job of, of building an entire framework of God's grand narrative into our teaching and then into our practice. We focus on those middle two chapters of fall and redemption and often just become a silo. And that's where we just decide we're going to be silent on cultural issues. We're not prepared. We know we have a ticket to heaven. I think we're in good shape. I'm just going to go outside and sit at the, the bus station for the rapture bus to come and pick me up. And that is an inappropriate understanding of the, of the life that Christ has given me. So if, if nothing else comes out of this podcast today, I want you to recognize the full grandeur of what you've been given in this new life through Christ's atonement. And so what I want to do here in just a very few minutes is I want to uh, move from uh, the consequences of our very bad idea and now as we engage rebellion as sinners to the benefits now of Christ's atonement. And so if I could just review, 
uh, the four consequences of our very bad idea in our rebellion, which we have to we have to rebel. We're born rebels. That's another key theological understanding. I'm not born at a, at a neutral baseline and then decide to become a sinner. The biblical text is clear. I come out the box as a rebel. I have no options. That's been passed down to me uh, either seminally, meaning, meaning literally by a process of generational development passing from one to another, or I, Adam is my federal head. Uh, if you want to look closer at that, you can look at Romans chapter 5. So I'm not born neutral and then become a sinner and then I have to strain back to neutral. That indicates there's something I could do on my own. I am born separated from God. And so in my state of rebellion, I groan for redemption and that not from myself. The Bible's clear. I do not make headway toward salvation, toward the solution to the sin problem on my own by the works of any kind. No man, no woman will be saved. And so if you remember the four consequences of our rebellion, uh, we are now alienated from God. We're hiding. Uh, we, are, we are now uh, alienated from our true identity. We've gone from dependence, total dependence and gratitude on God and his authority to being independent, autonomous agents. Uh, we have now moved from intimacy with each other to defensiveness from each other, blaming each other, from being frightened. You know, I think this is the best way to see it, image bearers one to another. The best way I can describe our challenge of being true and intimate with each other is two facts that are at odds with each other. The one fact is, as an image bearer, I yearn to be fully known by God and by other people. And at the very same time, because of my sin and my rebellion, I'm terrified of being found out. So it seems the closer I want to get to somebody, the more intense the fear factor that they may discover who I really am. And so by Christ's atonement now, I can grow into that confidence that because my identity is in him, I can be more and more intimate with my creator and more and more at ease with letting people know that I am not perfect and I'm not who I once was at the same time. I am on a journey to becoming everything that God has designed for me to be in intimacy and communion with him and intimacy and communion with others. But in my sin state, I am just terrified and insecure, both in my relationship with God and my relationship with others. And then fourthly, I'm now alienated because of my sin uh, from the creation that God has given me. And we see that played out in all kinds of ways, both corporately and individually, as we have a tendency to exhaust and deplete uh, uh, instead of being managers, stewards, and replenishers. Uh, and we exhaust and deplete for our own purposes, for our own desire to promote, protect, indulge, and impose. So that's where it's left apart from <laughs> God's grand gesture of offering his son and his son's grand acceptance of this most critical mission. 
Now, as we discuss the third movement in God's grand story, the redemption movement, and we examine the benefits of Christ's atonement, we see that this is embedded, this movement is embedded all the way from Genesis 3.15 through Revelation chapter 20. And you might say to me, if you're astute, which I know you are, you're smart people, you will say, hey, Mitch, Genesis 3, that's where it all came crashing down. I'm going to say, yes, you're correct, except for the fact that God embedded the beauty of his plan in the future in just a couple of short statements in the middle of of that chapter on the fall. And we call this the the first gospel, if you want, if you like technical terms, it's the proto-euangelion. It's the first gospel. It's the first good news. As God is pronouncing the curse, which we talked about last week, uh, he is now speaking directly to the tempter, to the serpent. And we see throughout the biblical text, the serpent referred to, and we know and we see clearly, uh, especially in the book of Revelation, that the same serpent is actually Satan, our enemy, the accuser the hater of our souls. But but uh, God is pronouncing his curse, and as he's speaking to the serpent, the tempter, the one who now offered the fruit of rebellion, he says that the offspring of the woman is going to crush your head even as you strike his heel. You will wound him, but he will destroy you. And that is our first indication that God is not going to leave us in our current state of rebellion and yearning in futility and frustration for all things to be made right. And so this is Genesis 3.15 through Revelation chapter 20. Again, that's a huge chunk of our text. So at the same time that the impact of the fall is working its way through history, the impact of God's grand story to bring redemption is operating on a parallel track. And this is just the beauty of your biblical text. It is not merely some kind of uh, a curated collection of stories. It is a cohesive, integrated whole that tells us and gives us confidence regarding God's plan and his inviolable, and that means unchangeable, uh, desire for us to be reconciled as agents now of restoration. And so I encourage you to uh, maybe just look at Genesis 3.15 to grasp, grasp onto this first move. Uh, but let's look now at the redemption uh, uh, that Christ has offered through his sacrifice on the cross and proven in his resurrection and see now what we have gained out of what we had lost in the fall. So as we talked about, uh, image bearers being uh, now alienated from our, from our creator in the fall, we see that because of Christ's uh, resurrection, we see now image bearers are reconciled to their creator. So what was now separate, isolated, has now been brought together. And there's tons of texts here. Uh, just for example, 2 Corinthians 5.17, uh, which is one of my faves. Uh, if any person is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. And the, the Greek carries this word of excitement, uh, which it, it really should be something common to all of us when we think about our own uh, redemption. Uh, if any man or woman is in Christ, uh, he or she is a new creation. And, and the word is, check it out. Old things are passing away and all things are becoming new. Uh, so, so this is now a new way to be human, if you will. Image bearers are now reconciled to their creator. 
And in that in that new humanity, uh, we see another beautiful consequence of Christ's atonement, and that is now we are empowered by God's Spirit to be fully reconciled to each other. Uh, one, one thing that's true about this new creation is we now have a, a permanent resident inside of us. It is literally the Spirit of God himself. Uh, you see this in Jesus' statements as he's teaching in the upper room just hours before he goes to the cross, and he's introducing this new one who is like him, that this, this homo usios, another of the same kind, who is now not going to be with us side by side, but also be in us, indwelt, and this is a new thing. This is the, this is a feature of the new covenant in Christ's blood. As we look through the history of Israel, we see uh, God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, come on to people and then leave people. Come on for certain uh, tasks and 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 missions that need to be accomplished. But then we see the Spirit receding as well. Well, not so in this new creation. We are now empowered by this live-in resident to be fully reconciled to each other in this new humanity. And there's a great text here. And this text speaks to a lot of the the division that's going on today in culture and unfortunately finds its way into the church. And that is what we would call this uh, racial tension. Uh, if you look in Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, Paul is writing to the, the church in Ephesus, and he starts the chapter with this, hey, you were once enemies, you were once rebels, uh, you were once hostile, you were once objects of wrath, but God, who is rich in mercy and abounding in grace, has made you alive in Christ. And then he goes on to, to develop this understanding that this is not a Jewish thing, this is a all of us thing. Because the Jews thought that the gospel was just for them. And Paul says, nay, nay. This is now Jews and Gentiles being brought together. Uh, as Christ is our peace, being brought together at the foot of the cross, reconciled to each other, and then taken as a solitary, a single unit up to God to be reconciled through Christ's blood. So a beautiful consequence, a beautiful benefit of Christ's atonement is that we are now empowered as spirit indwelt image bearers to be fully reconciled to each other. Uh, the third beautiful consequence of Christ's atonement is that we are now empowered by that same Holy Spirit. We have a new power to carry out the original mandates that were given in Genesis chapter 1. We are now empowered in this new humanity to build culture and be restorers of all things right next door to us and even inside our own homes, everywhere we find ourselves in our sphere of influence. A couple of different texts there you can look at. Uh, for example, uh, Colossians 3, uh, around verse 23, uh, Paul is telling the Colossians that, that if you are someone who is under employment, if you have a boss, don't consider that boss as your ultimate authority, but for that boss, you need to be the best employee you can be because you know you're not working for that boss, but you are working for Christ himself. And do you know the power of someone? who surrendered in their workplace to work for Christ by being the best employee, no matter what you're doing, the best one, whether it's an accountant or an engineer or a plumber or a mechanic, 
there's something that's so restorative in culture as people around are watching someone who's fully engaged in being the best employee they can be to the glory of God. So image bearers now empowered by the Spirit to build culture. And the fourth benefit of Christ's atonement is that we are now empowered to carry out creation mandates regarding uh, and stewarding uh, God's creation itself. And this is something that I believe uh, the Christians have had difficulty reconciling uh, down through the ages is how we are to be cultivators of the environment, not depleters or exhausters of the environment. So uh, as we consider the benefits of Christ's atonement in this third movement, I want you to see where we are in the story. Uh, We have talked about God's original design, his great idea, now defaced, image bearers now defaced by sin, but the image not erased. And we see Christ to the rescue, not just individually, so that I can say all I need is between he and me. But collectively now, as a group of redeemed image bearers, we are called to move out into culture, intimate with our creator, intimate and reconciled to each other. Now, building culture and caring for God's creation. So this is the third movement. And there's one more movement to consider, and that is the movement of restoration. That's the, what we call the final piece. You know, if we, as we talked uh, a couple of uh, podcasts ago, maybe it was really early, uh, the, the question of destinations or restoration in a biblical sense uh, is the question of telos or completion or, or a design for how this thing wraps up. And, and this is where we move in our next chapter, and that is how God has written in the framework and the blueprint for restoring all things and moving us into the next season of his plan. So I hope that's helpful to you. Uh, We are moving through building a biblical worldview. We've gone through three movements, creation, fall, redemption, restoration comes next. But again, I'm here on Good Friday and I am going to revel in God's power to restore even a sinner like me. Till next time, Mitch Friedman, Pinocchio Project. Thanks so much for listening. If this podcast has value for you, we have new episodes dropping each Monday and Friday. Please follow or subscribe, share, and give us a five-star review. And if you have an everyday idea you would like to submit for us to examine, just hit the links in the show notes below. And remember, ideas have consequences. 